Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as it fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Of all the ways we can make a difference in the world, love is the best. When we choose to love, we're setting aside intolerance, prejudice, and apathy. Love inspires us to take care of one another and see each person as a child of God. God has equipped us with everything we need to make a difference. For what the world needs now is love. Many of you are familiar with Dave Isay. He's the author of the book, Listening is an Act of Love, which is based on interviews that came out of the StoryCorps project that he founded in 2003. StoryCorps uh, was set up uh, to establish recording booths at several places throughout the United States, and then it invited people to come and uh, ask each other questions, basically the questions that are most important. And so you'd have a grandchild asking their grandparent What was it like when you were my age? Or you would have friends asking how they got through a particularly traumatic experience. Or you might have a spouse asking their uh, husband or wife or partner of what were your first thoughts when you first met me? So you have all these different kind of shared experiences that are captured, and then many are broadcast on radio programs. And Dave Isay found that those conversations were so incredibly important, not just for the relationship of the two people involved, but also for people who heard it on the radio. And so he decided to embark on another project He was particularly dismayed, as most of us are, by the political divide in our country, and not just the differences, but how people treat the other side with such contempt and malice. And so he wanted to do something that brought people together, and he started the One Small Step program. Now, it's already been launched in three communities around the United States, And Oklahoma City is the fourth, and it's just now getting ready to launch. And what they have found is that bringing two strangers together from different sides, opposite sides of the political spectrum, 
But asking them, there's an interviewer present, uh, the interviewer asks them questions not about their political beliefs, but rather about their shared experiences, their uh, upbringing and their values and what family means to them. And by focusing on that shared humanity, they realize they can disagree about things and still be neighbors to one another. Now, because it's coming to Oklahoma City, uh, I was asked to be part of the advisory team, and that means that St. Luke's can have a strong connection to this great program. In fact, you can go to the StoryCorps website, storycorps.org, and go to the One Small Step program and register to be paired with somebody for one of these interviews. Their research has found that it is having positive effects, one small step at a time. That through conversation, through practicing a sense of mercy by the way we give people the benefit of the doubt and we listen to one another, things can change. This morning, I'm continuing on in the sermon series, What the World Needs Now. Each week, we have been looking at ways that we can bring healing to the world. Now, we know that, of course, what the world needs now is love. And so every Sunday, we've been looking at tangible expressions of love. For example, we've looked at gratitude and joy and how to care for one another. Today, we're going to look at the tangible aspects of practicing mercy and forgiveness. This morning's scripture passage comes from the letter to the Ephesians, and it really is in this small scripture section, it's a list of ways to live a better life. Don't do these things and do these things. Don't let evil come out of your mouth. Instead, let every word that comes out of your mouth be something that's meant to edify and, and build up others to inspire and encourage. Put away things like anger and malice and clam clamor and slander. Instead, we're admonished to show kindness to one another, to be tenderhearted, and to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. There are three things that I want to discuss this morning that can help remind us that what the world needs now is mercy and forgiveness. First, mercy and forgiveness connect us with God and one another. Too often, people have the wrong idea about forgiveness. Sometimes we can tend to view the reason we need forgiveness is to get on God's good side or to make it to heaven. Well. We're always on God's good side. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, the reason we need forgiveness in life and the reason we need to forgive others is so that we can live lives to the fullest without a sense of guilt or shame kind of weighing us down. Sometimes we have the view that if there's some sin that we haven't asked for forgiveness for, it just hangs out there hovering over us like a judgment against us. Let me just clarify. None of our sins 
not the ones we've asked forgiveness for, not the ones that we've not asked for forgiveness for, and not the ones we've simply forgotten about, none of our sins will judge us. It's Christ who will judge us. And aren't we thankful for that? Because when Jesus was asked what the kingdom of God looks like, he told a story about the prodigal son, and in it, it gives us everything we need to know about the mercy and forgiveness that God shows. The prodigal son demanded his inheritance and dishonored his family and his father and ran off to a a foreign land where he squandered all of his money. And so he was starving and it says he came to his senses and he realized what he had done wrong. And so he went home not to beg for forgiveness, but to confess what he had done wrong and to beg for a job because he knew that his father's workers were fed regularly. And so he was just wanting to get fed. He wanted to survive. But before he could get his confession or his I'm sorry out, the father had run to meet him and embraced him and was calling for the servants to dress him in the finest clothes and to start preparing the celebration party. That's the image of God's mercy and forgiveness that Jesus tells us to consider. That God loves us so much that God runs to us like a loving father and embraces us before we even get any kind of I'm sorry out. Now, it's, I am not saying that confessing what we've done wrong and asking forgiveness for forgiveness isn't important. It is. I even think that the words we say are important. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, I encourage the couple to stop saying, I'm sorry. Because I'm sorry, when you say those words, it's one-sided. It's the one person admitting what they've done wrong and then they've kind of closed the discussion. But to ask for forgiveness involves the other person. Was the prodigal son sorry? Absolutely, he was starving to death. He recognized that all of his choices and decisions were the wrong ones. And he was starving and so he wanted to go and get that off his chest so he could get a job and eat again. Asking for forgiveness not only recognizes the wrong choices that you made and how they affected you, but more importantly, how they affected the other person, the hurt that you caused. Now, one of the things that I think is is truly important is for us to remember that God loves us unconditionally. And there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. When we feel like forgiveness is is that thing that if we get the right words and we say the right prayers, that's what merits God's forgiveness of us. We've got it wrong. God is eager to forgive, whether we have the right words or not. Now, saying I'm sorry, saying asking for forgiveness is important, but remember God is always eager to forgive and that's our example. Recently, I read about a man by the name of Bassam Aramim. He's a Palestinian, and he grew up at a time that he was extremely living in fear 
because of the Israeli soldiers. When he was just 12 years old, he joined a demonstration. And there at that demonstration, he saw another boy not too far from him who was shot and killed by an Israeli police officer. And it filled him with rage. He joined a group of other youth in his area and they considered themselves freedom fighters and they plotted revenge in any way they could. When he was just 17, he was arrested as they discovered a, a plan that these young men were plotting to start bombing attacks against Israeli soldiers. And he was sentenced to seven years in prison. When he first arrived, uh, he was beaten, which only seemed to validate the reason for his anger. But there was a guard there who started coming by, and one day the guard asked him, how can you be a terrorist when you're such a quiet person? And Bassam kind of raised up and he said, I'm not the terrorist, you're the terrorist. And the men started having these conversations. Initially, each man thought that the other was the terrorist and the one who had illegally occupied their country. But by the time, as the years passed, by the time that Bassam was released from prison, they had become close friends. Not only understanding the other's viewpoint, but each man understood what they themselves had done to inflict harm in the situation. And so Bassam, when he left prison, he realized that all of his pursuits for peace and justice, he never gained any ground with violence. The greatest success he found was through a dialogue, a conversation. And so eventually he established the group Combatants for Peace to bring together Palestinians and Israelis for dialogue. These were former soldiers who at one point had fought against each other and were now working together to bring about peace and justice for all. Just two years after he established this group, his 10-year-old daughter, Abir, was shot just standing outside of her school. She was shot with a rubber bullet by an Israeli soldier, and it, the, the injuries were enough that she died from them. He said that it would have been easy for him to succumb to the, the anger and the hunger for violence again, but he knew he could never go back to that hatred. He knew that mercy and forgiveness had truly saved his soul and reconnected him with God and humanity. It was one soldier who took his daughter's life, but there were 100 former Israeli soldiers who built a memorial garden in his daughter's honor at the school where she lost her life, and he took great comfort in that. He understood that what he needed was a life that practiced mercy and forgiveness, a life of nonviolence, and it brought healing to him, and he was, is committed to bringing it for others. Second, mercy is a better way of life. And that's what this section of scripture is all about. 
It's this list of practical advice on how to live a better life. It's to the church of Ephesus uh, to say this not only will affect your personal lives, but also your church relationships. And the advice is still good for us today. Now, for most of history, the topic of forgiveness was kind of seen as just part of the theological realm. But in recent years, there have been numerous projects, research studies, that have looked at how forgiveness affects our life. And what they have found is that people who are more prone to show mercy and forgiveness have better physical health and better relationships. Now, the fact that it affects physical health shouldn't be surprising to us. We know what it feels like to hang on to anger and what resentment does to us. We feel it in our stomach and in, you know, as our muscles tighten up and in our headaches. It's better to practice mercy and forgiveness. Now, for all of these scientists, they're quick to point out, and I absolutely agree with them, that forgiveness is not about forgetting or diminishing the harm that was caused to someone. It's certainly not about allowing abusive behavior to continue. And it's not about foregoing justice where necessary. Forgiveness is simply releasing the hatred that that holds and binds you and giving up the need to get even. And in their studies, they have tended to look at ordinary things in life that annoy people. And they've come up with a scale to see how people react to those annoyances and it's called dispositional forgiveness. For example, if somebody goes to a restaurant and they get their order wrong, get your order wrong, how long do you hang on to that? Is it just at the table at the restaurant? Or are you still kind of fuming about it at home? Do you start to tell people about your experience in a way to kind of get even to the restaurant? Do you post negative reviews to kind of get back? How long do you hold on to that sense of anger? Well, Adam Cohen wrote an article about several of these research projects, and I want to read to you how he introduced his article. Imagine all the ways that people hurt or annoy each other in a day. The barista at the coffee house took too long to make your latte and then used low-fat milk instead of regular as you ordered. When you finally got the right coffee and drove off in your car, Someone cut you off in traffic, making you spill your latte all over yourself. All of this happened on your birthday, which your best friend forgot. As a matter of fact, the coffee-stained shirt was a birthday present from this same friend two years ago. You can imagine that such a day might test whether you are prone to ruminate and be angry or whether you tend to forgive. Now, this might not be a normal day, and I might be more sensitive than most people, but I think even the most easygoing people frequently aggravate and are aggravated by others. If we didn't forgive people for any of these hurts, real or imagined, our lives would be filled with anger and spite. 
We might spend our time plotting and carrying out revenge and avoiding people that we really ought to be close to. Forgiveness can free us from this kind of life. It allows people to live together and get on with their lives. It must be one of the most important factors in promoting peace between people and their well-being. If we have trouble showing mercy in the little annoyances of life, how ready are we to practice forgiveness in the bigger issues? And how does it really feel to our physical bodies to carry around that sense of anger or bitterness? There's a better way. You probably heard the uh, news story about the passenger who landed the plane when the pilot became incapacitated in Florida. His name is uh, Darren Harrison, and he was on a fishing trip in the Bahamas and flying back on this uh, little Cessna. He was in the back seat with another passenger when the pa uh, pilot turned around and said, I'm not feeling so good. And a moment or two later, the pilot slumped forward on the controls and the plane began to nosedive. And Darren looked forward and in the front window, all he could see was the ocean rushing up toward him. So he and the other passenger were able to get the pilot out of his seat and Darren jumped in that seat and put on the headset only to find out that it was frayed and wasn't working. And so he found another headset, put it on, and radioed the control tower. Now, the man in the control tower, another grace moment, uh, was a man by the name of, of Roger Morgan. And he just happened to be a flight instructor. And so he was the perfect person to help Darren in this situation. They quickly discovered that the GPS screen to let him know where he was wasn't working. And so he had to be flying by sight. I see the coast of Florida. That's where they started. And finally, uh, Robert was able to guide him to the Tampa International Airport, or the Palm Springs International Airport, where they soon discovered he was coming in too fast. And the wing flaps on this single engine plane, well, they weren't working either. He was. A, able to land the plane and they were safe. And the last thing that Darren was uh, radioing the tower was to ask how to shut it off. Now for the pilot, another grace moment, he suffered what is often a, a fatal medical event. He had a dissected aorta and they were able to get him to the hospital and he was able to survive uh, till the life-saving surgery, and he's set to go home any day now. And so that was a miracle. And, and for Darren, he started doing all these interviews after the landing, and they all asked him basically the same question. How is it that you remained so calm during what seemed to be all these things going wrong in your life? And he said, God. He said, I used to be a hothead. And I got mad at everything. And so to deal with that, I started going to church and going to different Bible studies, and it changed my outlook and my life. Now, I'm not saying that practicing mercy and forgiveness will teach you how to land a plane. 
but it will give you peace. And you'll physically feel better not hanging on to that type of resentment. It is a better life to practice mercy and forgiveness. And third, forgiveness brings healing. There is healing in this scripture passage, and it's found in the phrase, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, how has God forgiven you? How you answer that question might or probably will be directly related to what you think of the nature of God. If you think of God as someone who's always ready to kind of push the button and get you, then you answer it one way. You feel under this kind of veil of condemnation. But if you will remember the words of Christ, how he described the mercy and forgiveness that God shows as a loving father that runs to us and embraces us before we even get the words, I'm sorry, out of our mouths. You can answer that differently. Recently, I read the book that was written by Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter, Mpo Tutu. Uh, it's called A Book of Forgiving. And they talk about the process of forgiveness. And in one section, Bishop Tutu describes that sometimes it's easier, us, easier for us to practice forgiveness when we kind of set up some conditions. We expect some type of restitution. And he uses the, the example of a pen. If somebody steals your pen, you're ready to forgive them if they return the pen and ask for forgiveness and show remorse. There's nothing wrong with that type of forgiveness, except that it kind of has strings attached. It's conditional. Now, where it can go wrong is if you're waiting for the person to fulfill the conditions you've established. But what happens for that person who never has any remorse, never intends to apologize or ask for forgiveness, and never makes amends? Well, then you're yoked to somebody who has already harmed you. Forgiveness isn't related to the actions of another, and true forgiveness is about offering this gift of grace. Bishop Tutu describes this true forgiveness in this way. Unconditional forgiveness is a different model of forgiveness than the gift with strings. This forgiveness is a grace, a gift freely given. In this model, forgiveness frees the person who inflicted the harm from the weight of the victim's whim, what the victim may demand in order to grant forgiveness, and the victim's threat of vengeance. But it also frees the one who forgives. The one who offers forgiveness as a grace is immediately untethered from the yoke that bound him or her to the person who caused the harm. When you forgive, you are free to move on in life, to grow, to no longer be a victim. When you forgive, you slip the yoke and your future is unshackled from your past. Remember this, God offers us unconditional forgiveness. Remember the words that Jesus spoke from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say, 
Father, forgive them for they have the right words and the right prayers and the right hearts. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Of course, it's important for us to confess and ask for forgiveness, but it isn't what merits our forgiveness. God loves us so much that God freely forgives us. We need to ask for forgiveness so that we can be free of guilt and live the life that God had designed for us. In the book, Bishop Tutu talks about the years after apartheid was ended, and he said it would have been easy for their country to sink into hatred and for everyone to want and pursue revenge against the leadership that had oppressed them for generations. But instead, the newly elected president, Nelson Mandela, sought a different way, and he established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and had Bishop Tutu as the chairperson and it changed everything. Bishop Tutu said, of course, everything wasn't perfect, but forgiveness saved his country. One story that he included in the book that was particularly a good example of the power of mercy and forgiveness is the story of Stefan's Coetzee and Olga Makanwane. Stefan Stefan's Coetzee was just 17 years old when he and three other youth that were part of this kind of white supremacy group, they planted three bombs in a shopping mall on Christmas Eve at a place that was very popular with the black population. And they planted these bombs to create the most harm. In fact, they placed one of the bombs in the mall Christmas tree. Well, thankfully, only two of the three bombs detonated, but still three children and one adult were killed and 67 people were injured. They were arrested and Stefan's uh, made this proclamation to the press that the only thing he was remorseful about was the low number of injuries. He was sent to a life in prison and he would later say it was the best thing that could have happened to him. Because there he met a man who had once been a notorious white supremacist, someone who had fought for and to defend apartheid and created terrible acts of violence. But once he arrived in prison, he began to seek out God and, and read the Bible, and it changed his life. He saw Stefan's as kind of a younger him, and so he began to mentor him, and he, he told him, if you don't change and stop hating people because of the color of their skin, you will live in two prisons, one around your body and the one that surrounds your heart. And so Stefan started reading a Bible, and over time, he found his mind and his heart were changed. He gave his life to Christ, and he approached the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He was the only one of the four bombers who was willing to face all of his victims and confess everything he had done wrong, to admit it, and ask for their forgiveness. Well, Olga Makinwane was one of those victims. She was shopping at the mall that day, and when the bomb exploded, 
it shattered the bones in one of her legs, making it difficult to walk for the rest of her life, and it affected her vision and her hearing. And when she heard that one of the bombers was seeking amnesty through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, she was determined to go, and she was intent on keeping him in prison. She was filled with hatred for what these four bombers had done to her, and she was struggling with the bitterness in her heart. And so she attended the meeting that day and heard the people asking him questions, and she discovered that when Stefan's was just a young child, his mother had abandoned him in a store. And his father was an alcoholic who couldn't take care of him, and so he was sent to an orphanage where he was soon adopted by a man who was a devout believer in a white supremacy cult. And so from a young age, Stefan's was raised with hatred and violence, and Olga found her heart changing. I want to read what she said. I thought to myself that this could be my sister's child. He was used as an instrument of hatred. How would I feel if this was my child asking for forgiveness? Every day of my life since I was a little girl, I had said the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespassed against me. So how could I not forgive Stefan's? It felt like the most natural thing to do when I stood up, put my arms around him and said, Come here, child, I forgive you. Whether what you have told me is true or not is between you and God. I am not your judge. Stefan's cried. I cried. Everyone in the room cried. Olga felt so bad and sorry for Stefan's because he had no parents or family to visit him in prison. And so she started making the trip to go and visit him on a regular basis. And when he was finally released on parole, the two now close friends began to speak all around South Africa to groups talking about the power of forgiveness. Each of them had at one time been imprisoned by hatred, but mercy and forgiveness had set them free and brought healing to their lives. And their story continues to bring healing in South Africa today. How do you want to live? If you're a hothead, does it feel good to live that way? Does it feel good to get angry at every little annoyance or to harbor resentment and bitterness? There is a better way to live. It's by being willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to talk, to be in conversation and to listen it means practicing mercy and forgiveness. It's healthier for you and it's healing for others. And most of all, it's what the world needs now. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.
Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.